baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And away we go. Hour number three of our radio program. That's right. It is the Zach Gelb Show, coast to coast on CBS Sports Radio. Jason Avant, Michigan sideline reporter, former college and NFL wide receiver, is going to stop by 20 minutes from now as we'll chat some Eagles taking care of business against the Bills last night and also discuss the game from over the weekend between Michigan and Ohio State, where for the third straight year, Michigan gives Ohio State a big fat L. But first, Time to recap what was a very, very busy week in the NFL with a little no huddle office. Touchdowns, sacks, upsets, and last minute heroics. Another NFL Sunday is in the books, and we've got you covered with the biggest plays and sound bites from another wild week in the National Football League. It's time for No Huddle Offense on the Zach Gelb Show. All righty, we'll start things off with the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints at NFC South Showdown. The NFC South, well, it's been really ugly. David Tepper today said he's going to fire Frank Reich. So they send him packing. We've already forgot about the Carolina Panthers. We knew they were eliminated back in week three. And then you got these two teams. And Tampa Bay's really fallen off too. But the Saints and the Falcons both now at five and six after this one. And Atlanta, they get the dub 24 to 15. With that being said, these teams will meet up the final week of the season. Uh, let's hear Desmond Ritter on a 26-yard touchdown to Bijan Robinson. This made it 21 to 12. Play fake by Ritter. Blitz coming. He's going to lob it for Robinson, who makes the catch. Touchdown, Atlanta. Holy smokes. They blitz Werner, the linebacker. And all of a sudden, Desmond just looped that Jesse up in the air to Bijan Robinson. Uh, here's the thing. They used Bijan Robinson finally the right way. Now, I like to see him get some more carries down the stretch, but 16 carries gets 91 yards and a touchdown. And then also, you just heard him on the receiving touchdown, three receptions for 32 yards. Atlanta just needs their quarterback to be a game manager. And I know Desmond Ritter had two interceptions in the game. He wasn't phenomenal, but Derek Carr choked. Derek Carr, early in the game, throws that pick six for 90-something yards, and this continues to be the Derek Carr show. And Stu, look at Stu right now. I wish you could see him on camera. He has a bleep-eating grin on his face because for years, Stu would have to go to battle and do battle with Derek Carr as his quarterback. And now, Stu knows the truth about Derek Carr. He doesn't have to de pretend to defend him anymore. Well, a lot of it was the Raiders' fault, but also a lot of Raiders fans failed to acknowledge that Derek Carr really wasn't at all that great. And anytime he looked like he was going to be a top-ten quarterback, he would take three or four steps back. But this could be the worst moment of Derek Carr's career if they don't win this division. They don't win this division with how bad this division is and how the Saints were the lock to win the division before the year started. I didn't pick them, but everyone else did. This would be as bad as it gets for Derek Carr. And I once had a Chiefs fan who covers the NFL, Eric Eager, say to me, does a great job for Sumer Sports. He goes, 
If Derek Carr is a favorite to ever win a division title, just fade. Go the other way. Because Eager is a Chief fan. He saw the incompetence of Derek Carr uh, for all those years with him quarterbacking the silver and black. Stu, your reaction to Derek Carr and uh, his woeful performance up against the Falcons. Yeah, it's funny. Like that that interception, that pick six he threw you in laugh. the red zone. It's just he always does that. It's just he has like two or three or four of those a season, it seems like, that he just like they're driving, he, he's playing okay, and then boom. It t- totally flips the game by a, a, a totally bad throw like that. And I appreciate someone believing in themselves. Like, I appreciate someone's family going to fight for their brother, which the Carr family always does. But every time Derek Carr makes a mistake, it's almost as if it's inconceivable to him how the mistake happens. Because he is a, a good leader. He is a good competitor. But he's not a great quarterback. And he has just this, like, blank stare when it doesn't go his way, like, oh, shucks. I'm better than that. How the heck that did that happen? But when we're this many years into your career and it continues to happen, well, breaking news, Derek. You're just not that dude. All right, we'll keep it moving. Let's go to South Philadelphia, a game that I was in attendance for last night. The Eagles come on back to stun the Buffalo Bills in overtime. Josh Allen almost called game to Gabe Davis, and either Allen threw the ball to the wrong side of the end zone or Gabe Davis turned the wrong way. We still don't know. They just said it was a miscommunication. Neither side said it was their fault over the other, but Jalen Hurts gets the ball back. Eagles didn't make a field goal. Uh, Bills made a field goal, so Jalen Hurts, you go get a tie. It's not the worst thing in the world. No one wants to see a tie, but you would have been 9-1-1, and that chase to home field advantage would not have been a loss, and it keeps you at one loss on the season. But Jalen Hurts said, I'm not about tying. Zach Gelb doesn't like ties. I want outcomes. I want wins. I want losses. I don't want to tie. It's a waste with what we ask of football players. And Jalen Hurts said, good night to the Buffalo Bills. Hurts on a quarterback draw. He's at the five. He's in. Touchdown. The Eagles win. Hurts does it again. Oh, my God. Hurts does it again. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He's amazing. Yo, there's a party at Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah, that joint was uh, definitely hopping last night. That was that was a crazy atmosphere. And the Eagles do it once again where it looks like they're going to fall. It looks like they're going to find a way to drop one. And then that dude is just Superman in Jalen Hurts. He's a top three quarterback in the sport before the year. Everyone said Mahomes Burrow won two. Burrow now done for the season. But then the big debate for that third spot was Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has surpassed Josh Allen this year. It was close. You're splitting airs, but he surpassed Josh Allen. And Josh Allen wasn't bad in the game. He had four touchdowns in the game. Two on the ground, two through the air. Three of them came on third down where he was like Houdini. It was insane what Josh Allen was doing. Bad interception by Josh Allen still survived it. But with the game on the line, whether it's his fault or Gabe Davis, it doesn't matter. They've been together for too many years to make that mistake in that spot. And Buffalo just continues to lose games that you felt like they should have won. And now they're 6-6. Six and six. I don't think they're making the playoffs. I can't trust them to go 4-1 and one down the stretch, which they are probably going to need to do if you want to feel good or have a decent chance of making the playoffs. And even if you get 10 wins, you're not a lock to make the postseason. I can't trust this team to find a way to go 4-1 and one and play their best football in the final five weeks of the season, even coming off a bye, which now they're into the bye week. And the question becomes, is it time to blow things up in Buffalo? Uh, I would assume... No, regardless of what he says, that Stephon Diggs had asked for a trade this offseason doesn't mean they'll trade him. 
You know Josh Allen isn't going anywhere. I don't think it's time to blow it up, but I think it's time to reset. Where you have a quarterback that should be able to be good enough to win a Super Bowl, but the coaching and the improvement has not happened ever since they lost that divisional round in just terrible fashion two years ago up against the Chiefs where they had the game won. It's just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, even though I like Sean McDermott, even though I was a big fan of the McDermott hire, and he's done some really good things in Buffalo. Sometimes the guy that knocks down your house and starts to build it back up isn't the one that puts the finishing touches on the house. And you need to find a new coach. I would make a phone call to Jim Harbaugh. I'd beg him to leave Ann Arbor for Buffalo, where I think it'd be a perfect fit. Quirky guy, fits Buffalo, all that stuff. They're all football in Buffalo. I, that would be a home run hire. It'd be a wonderful hire. The Bills win a Super Bowl with Jim Harbaugh as their coach. But McDermott, your time has come and gone in Buffalo. You should not be back next year. Jaguars and Texans, this game got good late. I thought that fourth quarter Stroud was happening once again. He was going to find a way to pull it out and complete another epic comeback. Matt Amendola, who's the backup kicker, going back to the Fairbairn injury. We saw Daria Gumbawale actually kick a field goal once. Uh, he got the call. It was a 58-yard field goal. It was right down the middle, but didn't have the distance. Let's listen up. Johnson puts it down. There's the kick. The 58-yard field goal is... It hits the crossbar. It is no good. It hit the crossbar and came back. The field goal is no good. And the Jags take over. It'll take a knee one time. Wow. Are you kidding me? Jaguars improved to 8-3, and three, needed that win up against the Texans, so they lost too early in the year by 20 points. Texans, they fall to 6-5. and five. Trevor Lawrence in the game, 364 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Also had a rushing touchdown. C.J. Stroud continues to add uh, through the air on his passing yards. 304 passing yards in this one. Two touchdowns, no picks. 47 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. Nico Collins had seven receptions for 104 yards and a touchdown. And Josh Allen... He had two games this year where he had three sacks. Well, this time, two and a half sacks, two tackles for loss, and four quarterback hits. He's so important to what the Jaguars do, and he's their best defensive player. And now you look at the Jaguars. They're 8-3. and three. How confident am, am I in them? I think they're ceiling this year. Now, they may be better than the third-best team on paper in the AFC because of their schedule. And I've been saying this since the start of the season. Don't be surprised if they get the number two overall seed. Maybe they get the number one overall seed. But I just still don't believe that in the big games this team's going to be great because I look back up against Kansas City in week two they only put up nine points I look back at the 49ers they only put up three points it's a good win yesterday it's a really good win yesterday and a much needed win up against the Texans and they should beat the Bengals they should beat the Browns but let's see what you do up against the Ravens coming up on Sunday Night Football that's on December 17th I think they're a good team I don't think they're a great team if they get to the AFC title game, would I be surprised? No, but I don't think this team gets to a Super Bowl this year. Even with Peterson and as much as I love Trevor Lawrence. Chiefs Raiders. It's looking good early for the Raiders. When Josh Jacobs had that 60-yard or 70-yard touch, I'm like, oh, maybe the Raiders are going to do something positive. And then I said, oh, it's the Raiders. They'll find a way to mess it up. Let's hear Rasheed Rice get a 39-yard touchdown catch as the Chiefs started to pull away from the Raiders. This made it 28-17. Watson in motion. They're going to throw a crossing pattern. Caught Rice, 30. Angling, 25 up the sideline. 15 inside the five. Touchdown! Kansas City! A 39-yard crossing pattern. And then zooming up the sideline. Rushy Rice 
with one of the biggest plays this season for the Chiefs. They have the coveted second half two possession lead. Well, it's nice that they actually scored some points here in the second half because before this game yesterday it was three straight games where they did not score a single point in the second half where they lost to the Broncos, they beat the Dolphins, and they lost to the Eagles. And it's funny to me, on a lot of these national shows and a lot of these debate shows, after last week everyone said the Chiefs offense has major problems. Now with the good offensive performance up against the Raiders, people are saying Kansas City's offense is back. That's the most egregious thing you could do as a talk show host is when you're going up against a bad team, think that a team is back just because they started to play better. They should play better up against a bad team. So yeah, it's nice Rasheed Rice goes eight for a buck or seven. It's nice that Travis Kelsey goes for six for 91. It's nice that Sky Moore adds into the party. Justin Watson gets into the end zone. But here's been my point on Kansas City all year. The defense is the strength of this team this season. Eventually, Mahomes will figure it out. And you don't need to be great this year. And maybe you just need to be good to get to the Super Bowl. But after a good offensive performance against the Raiders, even though they got off to a little bit of a slow start, I need to sit here and say that Kansas City's offense, all of a sudden I have all this confidence in them? No. Even when they're not playing well, they're still solid. They still got a chance because 15 could do things that we've never seen. And you know, like last week, even when he puts the ball right in the money, Marcus Valdez-Scantling dropped the football. They could still win the Super Bowl this year, but right now, I'm not ready to say all of a sudden now we have to fear outside of 15 and 87 this offense because I still can't trust anybody else. All righty, let's keep it moving. Ravens and Chargers, final game. Zay Flowers, 37-yard touchdown run. This puts the game away as the Ravens take care of business up against the L.A. Chargers. Brings Flowers in motion to the left. He gives it to Flowers on the jet sweep. He cuts inside the numbers. He's in the 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Ravens! The Zay is in the board, and the Ravens knock out the Chargers in L.A. That's a good call by Jerry with the G, Jerry Sandusky on the Ravens radio network. He usually says the hay is in the barn, the Zay is in the barn, while Job gets a rushing touchdown for 37 yards, also had five receptions for 25 yards and a receiving score. So Ravens, they go to nine and three. They try to continue their quest to maybe be the number one seed in the NFL or in the AFC. And then the Chargers fall to four and seven. And all eyes on the Chargers now goes to their head football coach because the Chargers have so much talent. I know they're dealing with injuries, but everyone's dealing with injuries. It stinks that Joey Bosa's out, but this team has too much talent to be four and seven. There's one thing we're going into the year. If the Chargers are going to miss the playoffs with how low to the AFC is, you couldn't say that, oh, it's inconceivable that they would miss the playoffs. But for them to already have seven losses through 12 weeks, that's inconceivable to me. And Brandon Staley should have been fired. He should have been fired weeks ago. But the Chargers haven't done that. I think he'll make it to the end of the season. It's pointless, but at the end of the season, the Chargers will wave bye-bye to Brandon Staley. They don't do that. Then Dean Spanos is maybe the biggest dope in the NFL or the cheapest dope in the NFL. But there's only a year remaining on the contract. And that's the thing. Right now, David Tepper appears to be the worst owner in the NFL because of how much he just can't keep his hand out of the cookie jar and how he won't let his football people do what they want to do. Somehow, someway, Dean Spanos brings back Brandon Saley next year and he gets the fourth year of his contract. He would then be the dumbest owner in the NFL. All righty, that is your no-huddle offense.
in the NFL. It is the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll take a break. We'll come on back. We will be joined by Jason Avant, who, of course, is the Michigan sideline reporter now. That's where he played his college ball. Also spent some years in Philadelphia as well and Kansas City. We'll get his thoughts on the Chiefs. We'll get his thoughts on the Eagles. Maybe even sprinkle a little Buffalo Bills as well. And, of course, we have to talk about that crazy atmosphere in Ann Arbor that I was in attendance for on Saturday for the game as we will chat it up with one Jason Avon who will join the Zach Gelb Show when we return in five minutes. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. What a song. So I told Samter today, I go, I know Jason Avant uh, pretty well you know, through my uh, good friend, Josh Weinfeld. So I go, we got to bring on Jason Avant, sideline reporter for Michigan, former Michigan football player, played with the Eagles, the Chiefs as well. They're always in the news. And he goes, Jason Avant. He goes, when I used to produce Jim Rome or was working with the Jim Rome show, they would play this Jason Avant song. And I had no damn clue that Jason Avant actually had a song about him that a fan made up. And Jason Avant joins us right now. Jason, I think that's the best introduction you're ever going to get. And I didn't have to say a damn word. I just had to play the song. Oh, my gosh. That song, man. I got ridiculed by my teammates so badly (laughs) because of that song over the years. Uh, Shout out to the fan that made it, but it is annoying for sure. (laughs) When did you, like, first find out about it? What was that, 2013, 2012, something oh, like that? Oh, yeah, Derek Boyko, he's the guy. He's the uh, former PR the media, guy. Yeah. The PR guy for the Eagles. Now he's with Buffalo Bills. Uh, he told me about it, and he played it for me. And I was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> <laughs> and Rome would faithfully play that song. I, I, I don't know what it was, but he loved that song. <laughs> Who was the teammate that gave you the most crap for the song in the locker room? Oh, my gosh. Probably Jeremy Macklin or Deshaun, dude. Oh, Jason <laughs> That's absolutely great. So I know you're real happy. Uh, I was at the game. Uh, I actually, in my drunk state, tailgating in the parking lot, <laughs> I thought I saw Jason Avant, like, quickly, maybe showing up a little bit late to the stadium. I thought it was you from afar. When did you end up getting into the stadium? Just wondering. Well, I ended up getting the stadium at 10. Uh, so I don't know how late that was, but it, that's I ended not late. Up the stadium at 10. And then I had to go and do some appearances and then head to the field. Oh, so you yeah. were out of the stadium. Then you, you, you went in the stadium, you, you went out of the stadium, then came back yeah, in. And, and came back into the stadium. So if you saw me and if I was on a golf cart, that could have been me for sure. I'm pretty sure it was you. And I was like, <laughs> yo, Jason, and the golf cart just kept uh, cruising. So <laughs> yeah, good moving. It, uh, I'm glad you came on today. Uh, I heard your interview after the game with Chris Jenkins. The emotion was awesome. But you being on the sideline for that one, how did you process Michigan up against Ohio State where your Wolverines take care of the Buckeyes for the third straight season? Well, you know what? It's pretty dynamic because when you really consider it, Ohio State has been stockpiling talent for so many years and they are, you know, three deep at every position. I would say Michigan is about one and a half deep and we're going to have struggles after this year when it comes to replacing all this NFL talent. 
So you know that you're kind of undermanned from my professional opinion when it comes to just talent, but the grittiness of this team, the mindset that they have after their coach, they believe that they can beat Ohio State and they win in the trenches. And for some reason, Ryan Day wanted to play Michigan's game when he's not built for that. Ohio State has been known for having wide receivers and cornerbacks and they play the game on the edge accumulating and scoring a lot of points this year they wanted to be Michigan and try to bully Michigan at their own game which wasted opportunities to get the ball to Marvin Harrison so thank you Ryan Day for doing that trying to be Michigan instead of being Ohio State which you could have scored a lot of points because we do have some weaknesses in our secondary but he wasn't able to expose it because he wanted to be like Michigan instead of being Ohio State and that was the only chance that they had because Marvin Harrison Jr. Even though he only had four or five catches, he still goes for over 100 yards, and he's their best player. We all know that. He's going to be a top three pick uh, in the draft, but it's amazing how they didn't get him more involved in the offense. They should have lived and died by him, and, and they waited too long to get him really going. Yeah, it seemed like both coaches um, at the beginning of the game for sure were hesitant to make mistakes because, you know, you want to win the rushing yardage, you want to win the turnover battle. And at some point, you have to open up the game plan and you have to go to your weapons. You have, you know... Buka, you have Marvin Harrison, you have Fleming, who made some outstanding catches. These guys are going to play on Sunday, and Marvin Harrison is literally top 10 receivers in the NFL as soon as he arrives there, um, and especially in the right system. So with that being said, I'm throwing him the ball at least 20 times yeah. in that game. That's just how it's going to be if I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm going to make sure that my best player is spotlighted, but that's the danger of having your best player in a secondary position. What do I mean by that? The quarterback has to play well in order to get the receiver the ball. The offensive line has to block well in order to get the receiver the ball. The running back has to protect. So many people have to protect. So you can, um, as like Ryan Day did, isolate or just freeze him out of the game plan because he's a secondary position. So I'm glad it wasn't a quarterback as the best player or running back because we've been in world trouble. And all throughout the year, that's why I thought Michigan was going to beat Ohio State, even though J.J. McCarthy isn't the greatest quarterback in the world. He's a damn good quarterback. He's experienced, and he's gotten better through time at Michigan, and I believed he was going to make the big throws. Where McCord, you even look back at that Notre Dame game, he should have thrown a pick, and then Notre Dame dropped it, and then with the game on the line, he throws the interception, and when you have an experienced team like Michigan, they're just not going to drop that football. Yeah, 100% of the time. And J.J., you know what? J.J. is efficient. He's a very underrated athlete. And check and check this out. He has NFL arm talent. I, I do a show, um, you know, a podcast with Greg Cosell, who does tape breakdown yeah. every week. And he asked me about him and he said he watched him this offseason. He's like, oh, he's going to be a first day pick because of his arm talent. So J.J. is definitely an, an upper echelon quarterback. Um, does he have this, the weapons that, you know, Ohio State has? He doesn't have those weapons, but Roman Wilson Cornelius Johnson are definitely NFL wide receivers. So, um, yes, the difference, that's one of the differences. Kyle McCord, I think that he can throw the ball well. I just think that he's young, and young teams don't know how to win. And it's hard to be a young quarterback and win in a game of that magnitude, not experiencing it for the first time. He may have better luck next year and in the following years, but that first time and that environment, you saw how the big house was rocking. Crazy. It was electric from an hour before the game. There was so much buildup, so many people on the sideline, Derek Jeter, Charles Woodson, so many people out there. And I don't necessarily know if he were he was built for that moment. 
The other thing, too, and I thought J.J., who I do believe still has another level to get to, but he mm-hmm. made a great throw to Roman Wilson on that third down for the touchdown. Now, the throw is great, and you're a wide receiver, and I have no clue what a catch is, but a lot of people are saying, nope, that was a touchdown. Other people thought it should have been a fumble that Ohio State recovered. Take the Michigan side out of it. How did you you look at that one, and what did you, you think about it, not only in the moment, but then uh, once the game did uh, did end? Yeah, college college or NFL rules, that would have been a touchdown. College or NFL rules, right? Because there's no surviving a ground element when it comes to the, the the goal line. Yeah. When it comes to breaking the plane, there is no surviving the ground element to that, right? So once you break the plane with possession, right? He hit the ball, the guy, the defender hit the ball, he reestablished possession over the goal line. And when they went to the ground, he was able to get it out, right? So and I don't know if any person that really investigates football or watches football can say that that wasn't a touchdown. There was other questionable calls in the game, but I won't put my hat on that particular call in and of itself. Every game is going to go, you know, this way or that way. But when it comes to outrushing a team, Michigan did that. When it came to turnover margin, Michigan did that. When it came to the environment needed in order to beat Ohio State, which I believe was the more talented team, Michigan was able to check that box. And hats off to Jim Harbaugh. All of this scrutiny, all of the things that everybody else does in the country, right, when it comes to scouting and and figuring out signals, it's hard as hell to decode a signal. Let me just tell you that right now. Because being in the NFL and being in college, you if if I hear a guy, I go back to the sideline and say, hey, you know what? He has our slant signal. The coach said, okay, let's keep the signal the same. But on the next play, let's run sluggo. It's so hard slant and go. Let, it's so hard to decode and all those things. So Michigan was prepared for the game. And you can say a call here, there, whatever. At, at the end of the day, Ohio State had the ball with a minute to go, which is an eternity in college football because the first down stops on uh, – the clock stops on the first down. They had an opportunity to win the game. They didn't do it. Michigan prevailed. And the other thing was, I never thought Michigan was going to lose the game until that pass was completed, then it was fumbled, then it was recovered. And I'm like, man, Michigan may lose this game, and the next thing you know, it's an interception. That, to me, is the most demoralizing part of this loss for Ohio State is Michigan, I thought, could have played better, and Ohio State still wasn't good enough to beat Michigan in this contest. Well, that's the that's the truth. Michigan over the last I would say 3 games hadn't played up to their standard. And partly well, the reason is is we haven't been able to protect so in a Penn State game, Chop Robinson, Adisa, their two defensive ends, kind of exposed us. Yeah. And the we tackles, scrapped yeah. the game plan. We scrapped the game plan and just start running the ball. And we've kind of stuck with that over the last couple of weeks because in Maryland, our pass protection is kind of broken down. And I believe that when when Zach Zinner went out of the game, it actually they actually blocked better for some reason because Carson Barnhart, um, with most NFL scouts that I talked to on the sideline, is more geared to play guard, and Trent Jones is better at pass protection. So I thought that kind of evened them out. So with all that being said, Michigan hasn't played their best football yet this season. Um, but with Harbaugh comes back, we're 10 points better than we are without him. So I believe that that's going to be a solidifying factor. And I can't wait for the moment when Michigan is hoisting the Big Ten trophy and Tony Petit has to hand <laughs> Harbaugh that trophy. And, um, and there's going to be a big F you 
for <laughs> a lot of booze are going to be happening there. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, my, my NFL team, the Patriots. I was there for twenty-eight to three when Goodell, after the comeback, had to hand the trophy uh, over to the Patriots. It's one of the best things, and, and I can't yeah. wait to see that. One more on, on the game with Jason Avon here with us. Does a great job on the sidelines for Michigan. Former Michigan player played in the NFL uh, with the Eagles and also the Kansas City Chiefs. You talked about Ryan Day earlier and his lack of aggressiveness. With what you just pointed out with how Jim Harbaugh was in the sidelines, allowed to be there during the week but not on game day, Sharon Moore, who's done a nice job, he should be a head coach uh, somewhere one day, that's what's even more inconceivable to me is that Moore was more aggressive than Ryan Day, who already lost two games and had a chance to really throw it back in the Michigan fans' face for, and basically take the weak way out and go up. It was just a sign-stealing scandal the last two years. And the guy still was pretty much a coward in coaching and and had no aggressiveness in the game. You know what? He was so hell-bent on the stat that the last, you know, whoever wins the rushing battle in the Ohio State-Michigan game, that was the team that was going to win and the team that protected the ball. So I just think that he deviated from his game plan and who the team is and how he's built the team. Like I said, this team has had so many first-round receivers, you know, Olave and Jigba, you know, Marvin Harrison. There are so many guys in, you know, in history that that they've built the program around. And I believe that if you can pass the ball successfully, McCord is super accurate. That's the one thing that I came away saying is that, oh, Michigan has some competition in these next few years because McCord is accurate. You know, he, he, he threw some dimes in that game. And um, so I just thought that he deviated from the game plan and he kind of lost his identity uh, somewhere. And it could have been talking to Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer had Zeke Elliott and they were able to run the ball and be successful and throw it and run and have this balance. But the truth of the matter is that you have to know your personnel. That's like the number one rule in football. Every coach, every um, player will tell you KYP, know your personnel, know what we're built for. We're built to throw the football because of what we have on the outside. Do that and do it better than, than most. And don't worry about the history and the stats. Let's do what we do best. And I think that he just lost his mind when it came to that game. How about your Eagles, Jason Avant? Ten and one, another game where, uh, man, <laughs> they didn't show up in the first half, and they're going up against a solid team in Buffalo, who's not playing up to their abilities. And then Jalen Hurts just gets in his bag, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That was unbelievable last night. What a game! And I and I had to go in. You know, I do CBS. Uh, you know, local television. I had to go in, and I had to be there by nine. And I'm like looking at the clock and trying to get out. But I wanted to see the whole overtime game. Jalen Hurts, man, is he's un, he's unflappable. That's just who he is. There's always an adjustment when you're playing in the rain because the rain is very, very scary for the offensive coordinator. It's scary for the team because you can't execute your offense the way that you want to execute it because if you make a mistake and you turn the football over, you're down and it's very, very hard to come back in the rain. And I believe that Josh Allen and playing in Buffalo and playing in inclement weather, you know what it's like being in that region, right? It's always bad weather. And Philadelphia misses a lot of that. So I thought that the Buffalo Bills were more prepared to play in that situation. But in the second half, when they made adjustments, they started to go to the outside zone. And Jalen began to realize that it doesn't matter if it's raining, snowing, if there's a hurricane. Devontae Smith has excellent <laughs> hands. He was the only receiver the entire day catching the ball with his hands and a torrential downpour the entire day. So I believe that Jalen 
um, just put on his Superman cape and everyone believes in him. That's the thing that you know about this team. The entire team believes in Jalen Hurts and he does it week after week. And you can say it's luck. You can say, oh, the Chiefs dropped the ball. The, the, the Bills didn't get this call. But the one thing that you cannot say if this team doesn't fight and that Jalen Hurts is not a winner, he that's what he does. He's built for these moments. Last thing I'll ask you, and I don't know if you could tell, but when you look back at the Josh Allen to Gabe Davis play, was that on the quarterback or was that on the wide receiver, which forced Buffalo to take the field goal? It's 100% on the quarterback. 100%. Um, so he here's what happened in that play. So Sean Desai, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, threw an all-out pressure, right? That's a zero blitz. That's man-to-man. -man. It's off-man. It's going to be inside leverage for the cornerbacks. And Gabe Davis had a corner route. That was the route. Josh Allen knew that the pressure would get there and he just threw it to a spot rather than throwing it to the spot that mattered the most. The receiver can't adjust in that situation. You can say, oh, he beat him off the line or whatever it is. No, the receiver can't adjust. That's a corner out and you throw it to the corner. So Josh Allen could have made a critical, timely throw. All he had to do was lay it up in the back of the end zone in the direction of, of, of Gabe Davis and they would have won the football game. But he didn't show up in that moment. And um, I get so tired of the quarterback being the one that gets all of the 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 and like getting out of jail free cards, right? This one was on the quarterback. Gabe Davis was right. And you can see how right he was when he slammed his helmet down. Guys are not, you know, that angry when when uh, they, you know, are the one that made the mistake. Jason Avant, I know you enjoyed that Michigan victory. I know you enjoyed that <clears throat> Eagles victory as well. We'll be talking to you, I'm sure, throughout the season. <laughs> we appreciate the time. Always good to catch up. Zach, it's so good to see you, buddy. You got it. There he is, Jason Avant. And we also went a little throwback with that phenomenal Jason Avant song. I've never heard that. Good find by Samter right there. That was an absolute classic. We'll come on back with three college football takes. But first, here's the latest CBS Sports Radio update with the Ackman, Rich Ackerman. All right, it is the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. And right now, it's time to answer our Ask the Pros question of the day. And it's brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Billy Z in Chicago asks, Zach, who do you like tonight in the Bears-Vikings game? You can submit a question by tweeting at CBS Sports Radio or at Zach Gelb, Z-A-C-H-G-E-L-B, using the hashtag AskThePros. Think around the auto parts for all your car care needs. Get guaranteed low prices and excellent customer service from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Um, I think... The Bears will lose tonight up against the Vikings. I do believe the Vikings improved to 7-5. and five. Um, I did see the spread was Minnesota minus 3.5. I think that hook plays a factor in it. If I'm taking a side there, I would plus the 3.5 with the Bears, but I like the Vikings to win the game. Uh, but the gambling play I did make on the game was actually an anytime touchdown. Josh Dobbs. At plus 190. So I'll sprinkle money on the, and I already did, on the anytime touchdown line. And that will be my only play tonight between the Vikings and the Bears. But first, uh, let's wrap up the show with three college football takes. And we will start things off with Michigan with the game on the line. And maybe it looking like, all right, here comes Ohio State. They're going to snatch a victory out of the jaws of defeat and find a way to win a game that they did not have a lead for for a single second, and this is uh, the Michigan Radio Network on Kyle McCord throwing an interception to end the game. McCord in a shotgun, back to pass, 
looking. Here comes the rush. He's hit as he throws, and it is intercepted. The Wolverines pick it off. It's the Ohio native, Rod Moore. And the Wolverines, if this counts, Rod Moore has ended the ballgame. So when that play happened in the stadium, I'm going nuts. There was like 100 Ohio State fans standing next to me. My buddy and I were standing up on the bleachers. O-H-N-O! Enjoy the trip home! And we're starting to wave to them. And then I turn around and I look at the flag. And you heard the announcer capture it perfectly. If this is going to count. And there was a delay in calling the flag and then had nothing to do uh, on the play. It was after the play. They pick up the hanky. And uh, they make the call, and it's still Michigan football. Michigan wins the game. But how that game ended was very fitting because you knew that was going to be the demise of Ohio State this year, the quarterback play. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is a stud. He's the only reason why they had a chance to go win the game. But ultimately, McCord, right now in his career, is just not the dude that is needed to win a game like that. And I referenced the Notre Dame play earlier to Jason Avant. And I said it earlier in the show as well, against Notre Dame, and we all remember at the end of the game where Notre Dame has 12 men on the field and uh, that uh, you know, on the game-winning, uh, t- or only, they only had 10 men on the field uh, when they needed 11 and they allowed the game-winning touchdown. Everyone talks about that play. But earlier in that drive, McCord threw what should have been an interception. Notre Dame dropped it. Michigan, who had a pick earlier in the game, which is pretty cool in the stadium, Charles Woodson does the, the pump-up video, number two, legendary number two at Michigan, and then number two makes the interception. I don't know if they captured that on the broadcast. It was right from the pump-up video, you're back from the, the commercial break, and boom, there's the interception. So that was pretty neat, and at the end of the game, you knew Moore uh, makes the play because McCord is just not ready in that moment to go get the ball, get the final 40 yards, and get the ball in the end zone. Uh, college football take number two. Texas A&M fans. You are the most delusional college football fans of the dumbest college football fans. I just saw they were introducing Mike Elko as the head coach, and they're swaying back and forth. The whole thing is just creepy. It really is. And they do that chant the night before the game. It's just all so creepy. It's very culty-like. But with that being said, I like Mike Elko. I, as I said earlier, I wanted Mike Elko to coach my alma mater a few years ago in Temple. Mike Elko's a damn good football coach. But A&M fans freaking out when A&M wanted to hire Mark Stoops and making it out as if it was the most egregious thing ever. Have you watched college football last uh, decade or so? Because Mark Stoops has won 10 games twice at Kentucky. Once again, Kentucky. Imagine what he could have done with the resources of A&M. The dude comes from a great football family. The dude is a good coach. He's been one of the more underrated coaches in the country. Doesn't mean the Elko hire is a bad hire. But the process and how they got to Elko, who was their defensive coordinator for years ago before taking the Duke job, was sloppy. Because they wanted Stoops over Elko. But the fans had a problem with it. I don't get why they had a problem with it. And then finally, uh, let's listen up. This is uh, Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson because the radio calls were terrible. I, I was listening to the radio calls Santa's before the show. Such an iconic moment. You thought the radio calls, that's what everyone loves. A great college radio call. Announcers going nuts. But the Auburn Radio Network, the Alabama Radio Network, the calls were terrible. Listen up to Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson on CBS on the Milrow Miracle. Fourth and a milli, they're calling it. Fourth and 31. Fourth and goal at the 31. And this is how the Iron Bowl goes in favor of Alabama. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking. Firing. 
near corner. It's caught! Touchdown, Alabama! Isaiah Bond on a fourth and a mile. 31 yards, touchdown tied. We always keep thinking we've seen it all, and we never have, have we? Yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, we've seen walk-off, well, it wasn't a walk-up, but we've seen long touchdowns on, on fourth and long, things like that. But how a fourth and goal got to the 31, and then you throw a 31-yard touch that I know Milrow, the play before, was in front of the line of scrimmage, had a legal forward pass. That was just bonkers. But what's even more bonkers is that Auburn allowed it to happen. And how about the growth of Milrow this year? And also, it just shows you when Alabama's vulnerable, it's not the way that we look at every other team being vulnerable. Because Alabama being vulnerable still means one loss in week two of the season to Texas. And now they're going to go play for an opportunity to win the SC championship game this weekend against Georgia. Now, you knew that going into the game, but if they were lost to Auburn, poof, there goes their college football playoff chances, even if they won the SEC championship. So that's just bonkers that Bama, who had a great third quarter against Tennessee a few weeks ago when it looked like their season was done, but now the season really was on life support, even with the SEC championships on the line next week, and Milrow makes an incredible play. All righty, that's the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll be back tomorrow for a very busy Tuesday show. We're here for five days this week coming off the holiday. So we'll get you all covered leading into conference championship week and another busy weekend in the NFL. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. Talk to you tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. We out. Bye-bye. Peace. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.